Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Officer Sarah Mitchell had dedicated her life to the police force, driven by an unrelenting pursuit of justice. For years, a notorious serial killer known as the Shadow had tormented their city, leaving a trail of mutilated victims and cryptic clues that seemed to lead nowhere. Sarah's obsession with capturing the Shadow consumed her every waking moment. As time passed and the death toll rose, Sarah's determination grew stronger. She spent countless hours poring over evidence, connecting dots, and studying the intricate patterns left by the killer. Sleepless nights were a norm, and her personal life began to wither as she delved deeper into the darkness of the case. One evening, after a particularly grueling day at the precinct, Sarah returned home to find an unmarked envelope on her doorstep. Curiosity mingled with unease as she tore it open to find a single sheet of paper with a handwritten message. Getting close, aren't you, Officer Mitchell? 
But do you really know the truth? Or are you just another pawn in my game? The blood drained from Sarah's face as she read the words. She had always suspected that the shadow had been watching her, taunting her, but this was different. This was different. This was personal. Over the next few weeks, Sarah's life descended into a nightmare. Anonymous letters arrived at her home at the precinct, even slipped under her car windshield wipers. The letters contained chilling details about the victims, information that only the killer could know. Disturbing phone calls echoed in the night each time a distorted voice whispering threats that seemed to emanate from the grave. Sleep became a distant memory as Sarah's grip on reality began to slip. Her colleagues grew concerned, and her captain ordered her to take some time off, fearing that her obsession was jeopardizing the case and her own well-billing. But Sarah couldn't step away. She knew she was closer than ever to catching the shadow, and she couldn't let go now. One night, as Sarah sat alone in her dimly lit apartment, she received a phone call. The voice on the other end was clear, chillingly familiar, and unmistakably real. It was the voice of one of the victims, a voice that had been silenced by the shadow's brutality. You're so close, Sarah, the voice whispered, sending shivers down her spine. But remember, you're dancing with the dead. Can you handle the truth? In a surge of determination mixed with desperation, Sarah traced the call to an abandoned warehouse on the outskirts of the city. Armed with only her flashlight and her service weapon, she stepped into the darkness, her heart pounding in her chest. The air was heavy with an oppressive silence as Sarah ventured deeper into the warehouse's labyrinthine corridors. The dim light played tricks on her, casting eerie shadows that seemed to dance and shift with a life of their own. She pressed on, her steps echoing in the emptiness. And then she saw it, a figure standing in the distance, a tall and shadowy silhouette. It was him, the shadow. Fear and adrenaline surged through Sarah's veins as she raised her weapon and approached cautiously, her breath quickening. As she reached the figure, reality twisted and contorted. The shadow's form seemed to waver, his features blurring and shifting as if he was not entirely there. The voice that had haunted her emerged from his lips, a chorus of the victim's final moments. Sarah's mind raced, her sanity hanging by a thread. She felt as if she was trapped in a surreal nightmare, unable to discern truth from illusion. With a surge of resolve, she pulled the trigger, firing at the figure before her. The sound of the gunshot echoed through the warehouse, and the figure crumbled to the ground. Gasping for breath, Sarah approached the fallen form, her heart pounding in her chest. But as the dust settled, she realized that the figure before her was not the shadow, but a life-sized mannequin, a macabre effigy crafted by the killer to play with her mind. Defeated and broken, Sarah sank to her knees, tears mixing with sweat on her face. The realization hit her like a ton of bricks. The shadow had manipulated her every step, had driven her to the brink of madness. In the aftermath, the city mourned the loss of a brave officer. Sarah Mitchell's descent into darkness had cost her everything, her career, her sanity, and ultimately her life. The elusive killer known as the Shadow had won, leaving behind a legacy of fear and unanswered question. As the years went by, the legend of Sarah Mitchell and her battle against the Shadow became a cautionary tale among law enforcement circles. And in the depths of the night, 
The whisper still lingered, a reminder that some games were never meant to be won, and that some truths were best left buried in the shadows. There is a creature known to Buddhist monks, but you will probably never hear of its name. They have sheltered it in secrecy for thousands of years, high atop a mountain monastery in Tibet. Such creatures are made of a kind of plasma. They look much like translucent jellyfish and transverse space between planets. The reason you will never hear of it is that it is a guarded secret of the ancient black masters. For many thousands of years, the order has occupied the monastery, which is built into the rock of the mountain. They rarely venture from it. The impoverished peasants below hold and have always held them with great regard. It was the greatest wish of all families that one of their children would be chosen to become one of these monks. Once every twelve years, the monastery would open the compound gate to choose which children would be accepted into the teachings. Boys between the ages of five and nine would hike with their families the long path up the mountain. The families were not allowed to stay, so the children were then left at the gate. The boys would wait outside in silence and stillness until the monks would come and choose. They would be made to wait days without food or water. Most would leave and wander home. Once the monk opened the gate and chose those who were deemed worthy, they would be taken within the sanctuary walls. If the parents did not see their child returning from the mountain, they knew their son was accepted. Sadly, however, he would never be allowed out or to see his family again until he was in his twenties. While this was hard on their families, they knew that their child would be taken care of and, later in life, be able to take care of the family and bring them honor. In a world of abject poverty and starvation, this was the greatest wish and hope of these parents. The child would be dressed and prepared and led by a monk up to one of the higher building rooms. The monk would unbind ropes that locked two wooden doors and place the boy inside, standing before the altar. He would then lock him in alone, spaces and walls, close to the ceiling, let in only light. The altar ran the length of the room, carved into the rock five feet high and twelve feet deep. In the center of this step, a round hole, five feet in diameter, had been bored out. The hole in the stone was perfectly cylindrical, twenty feet down, and concave at the bottom. Of course, the boy could not see this or the hole itself, only the thing that protruded from it. A clear, gelatinous-looking, dome-shaped monster seemed to sit on the altar as the rest of its body tendrils rested within a hole. While the creature had no eyes of its own, it appeared as if someone had penciled Asian eyes onto its mass, and they stared at him. The boy stood frozen, crying at the sight. The creature did not move toward him yet, somehow drew the soul and life force from the child's body, killing him. As his tiny body collapses to the floor, the plasma monster encases his soul in a clear sphere from which it could not escape. It looked like a tiny spark of light inside a glass ball. A tendril moved up from the hole and wrapped around it, pulling it beneath. The plasma monster sits upon them, all the while feeding off the trapped soul's energy. There are thousands of these balls in the well. The ones at the bottom are dead and used up, resembling grains of black sand at the bottom of the glass ball. Further up the hole, souls are newer and still have some life left. It takes a few hundred years of draining and feeding before the soul is completely dead. 
Many believe the soul cannot be killed, and for the most part this is true. Yet this is one of the true monstrosities capable of such an atrocity. Those parents never knew the fate that awaited their child when they brought him to the monastery. They never knew the horror and suffering that beset him. They will never know how his soul suffered for hundreds of years until it was finally wholly consumed. I know you think this is a fairy tale, that these things are not possible. The truth is, these plasma monsters are real, however, in their natural state. They are harmless, gentle giants that move through the vastness of space between planets. Not on them. This monster was captured and contained by the evil black order that masks honorable and noble monks. They, who through ritual and ancient rites, entrapped and enslaved this plasma being down here for thousands of years in its own prison, as an instrument of their black fare. I do not know why they would need this entity to harvest souls for them when they are capable of extracting souls on their own. All I know is that there is a monster with Asian eyes in the monastery, on the mountain. In fact, there are many of them. Back in 1979, I found this while visiting my grandparents in Carmichael's township, Pennsylvania, Green County, for the weekend. One of my uncles is having a house built on a piece of land about a quarter mile down the road from my grandparents' house. My uncle was over at my other uncle's house a few miles away. My father wanted to go see his property in construction progress, so we walked down the road to see it for ourselves. A workman's van parked in the front part of the property where he kept all his tools and some other equipment. His dog, a big German shepherd that loved to bark and make his presence known to everyone, was chained to his van as a deterrent to anyone that might try to steal his tools. As we approached Michael's property, we noticed that his dog wasn't barking or growling. His dog had crawled underneath the van and was whining like it was scared. I remember my father, and I thought this is very odd, but decided to walk around back where the new house was being built. About fifty to sixty feet beyond his work bin, where his work van was parked, was a hill that was dug out for the foundation of the new house. There's also a large tree there, and that is where we saw it. My father saw it first and told me to stop. It was large. It was wide, and it was black. The creature must have heard us, and was leaning against the tree, just staring at us. We temporarily froze. It slowly moved so that it was partially behind the tree and its head was visible from the other side, kind of like he was playing peek. I remember my father leaning to the side to get a better view when this creature stepped out from behind the tree in full view. That was the point when my father threw me over his shoulder and did a full-on sprint back to my grandparents' house, a quarter mile away. It didn't appear to be aggressive, but I guess my father didn't want to take any chances. We got to their house, and my father yelled for everyone to get in the back room and stay put. He called his other brother that lived on the other side of town and told him to bring his shotguns. Both of his brothers showed up, and they all went back down the road to investigate, hence the saying there is nothing more dangerous than a scared human being. They didn't find anything, not even the dog who'd crawled back up underneath the van. My uncles gave me and my dad a bunch of grief over this whole story and said we had just seen a black bear. Well, that was no black bear. Being that this event happened so long ago, I can't accurately say how tall the creature was. It was 50 to 60 feet away, but it was larger than any person I've ever seen, maybe 7 or 8 feet tall. 
What really stuck with me over these years was just how wide the creature was. It was massive, probably twice the width of a large man. It is pretty much spot with that Bigfoot scene in the Patterson, Gimlin film. A few days later, one of my uncles called my father when he went back to work a couple of days later. He said one of his co-workers actually approached him and said, You're not going to believe what I think I saw over the weekend when I was out fishing. Apparently, there were numerous sightings over the weekend from several miles away, and the local news people even wrote an article about it. I was in the mountains of North Carolina for several days. It was a beautiful and peaceful hiking trip with my brother, sister, and their friend Caleb, until one early morning around 3 a.m. when every creature in a ten-mile radius was chirping, squeaking, howling, or scampering around through the woods. Being from the Midwest and having survived two tornadoes, I thought the worst weather event of my life was about to occur, and I was sleeping in a hammock. For those who don't know, just before a tornado is formed above your head, every... Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The animal is sight will be freaking the fowl. They know. They can feel it. You can feel it, too. You just won't know what that new feeling is until the 60-year-old trees beside you are being ripped from the ground. Being in the eye of a tornado is even more strange, as all those same animals inside are frozen. Sure, they still exist, but their little soul is on hold, and they don't do much more than look around quietly. It's creepy. Anyway, this wasn't a tornado. 3 a.m., the fire we made was just ambers and a roaring thunder of animals freaking out. I peeked my head out of my hammock, imagining getting my face smashed in by the first softball-sized hail, with my luck just for looking. But no, there was no bad weather. There was no storm or looming catastrophe. It was a beautiful night aside from the roaring animal kingdom. My brother peeked his head out of hammock above me and looked down to see if I was awake. When he saw my eyes as wide as saucers, he whispered, "'What the F is happening?' I replied, I don't know, but I wish I was up there in your hammock. Being on the ground level usually is best for guys my size. Up two hundred thirty-five pounds. I lacked the grace to climb up hammock ropes and jump into bed eight feet off the ground. Anyway, the terrifyingly creepy roaring continued for about thirty seconds. And then it, it just suddenly stopped. It seemed to be a sweeping effect where the outside of the radius stopped first and the creatures closer to us stopped last, but... It was only a single second or two difference. It was pretty damn synchronized. My brother and I were freaked the F out. After five minutes of silence, we got out of the hammocks and started the fire up again. This time we made sure it was big enough to light up a hundred feet out. The last thing we need is Bigfoot or some weird shit going down. My brother went up to the ridge to check on my sister and Caleb, about sixty feet uphill from our hammocks. 
Caleb always wanted to be in the highest possible safe spot so he could watch the sunrise from his hammock. As soon as my brother got to their hammocks, he yelled a shrieking kind of yell for me. That kind I had only heard from him twice before. When his friend got his bike handlebar lodged in his stomach about an inch deep as a kid, and when he split his own head open, I ran up to the ridge with the axe in my right hand, the first aid bag in my left hand, and flashlight in my teeth, expecting the worst. When I arrived at Caleb's bottom bunk, he was in a state of shock. His eyes were wide open. He was shivering and shaking, and he was staring down at the valley. Wouldn't you know my sister didn't even wake up? Figures low. She had her headphones in all night, listening to her folk music. Apparently she hates the sound of animals and prefers to have a controlled mental state where nothing can make her paranoid. We woke her up, and she had no idea what the hell was going on. She just stayed in her hammock like, What do you want me to do? We eventually got Caleb down to the fire and wrapped him in some blankets. I gave him a shot of whiskey to sip on, but he mostly just held it and stared into the fire. The whole night was too weird for sleep. But Caleb finally laid down next to the fire and fell asleep around 4.45 a.m. The sun came up and my siblings and I decided to leave the fire and go see the sunrise from the ridge. We all sat in Caleb's hammock, still bewildered. The sun was perfect, and Caleb picked out the best spot you could imagine, as usual. But then my brother spotted something strange. What's that? he said, pointing down the valley. Right there on the bank of the river. My sister and I struggled to get his perspective, but then finally noticed a clearing. We decided to go check it out, but one of us had to stay with Caleb. My sister volunteered as she hates creepy things. She didn't want us to go down, but we insisted. I left her my axe and emergency GPS signal thing. I told her to just scream if she needed us, and to not hesitate to use her pepper spray. She just said, stop freaking me out and just go. I'll be here when you get back. So my brother and I hiked down to the river. It took about 20 minutes. When we arrived, we felt very uncomfortable. There were no animals around whatsoever. No birds, no squirrels, nothing. The clearing on the river bank was about 100 yards upstream. We took to the higher side of the bank to keep our distance. I don't think either of us actually expected anything to go down, but we wanted to remain cautious. When we were about 50 yards away at a slight elevation to the clearing, we pulled out our phones to take pictures. But our phones were dead. Mine is known to die but I have an external battery pack that attaches to my otter box that I know was fully charged. My brother's phone is always reliable, and usually attached to his portable solar panel charger that he keeps on the outside of his pack. His shit was dead, too. Both of us tried to hold our power buttons, not believing they were really dead. But when we realized they were definitely not going to turn on, we both got that paranoid look on our faces. We decided to leave, but not before carefully studying the clearing for a few seconds. It was about 100 feet across, and the shape of a triangle. All of the bushes and plants that typically grow alongside the river were all flattened down. Even some mature azalea bushes that typically stand six, eight feet tall were eerily laying flat. It's as if everything in that triangle shape had bent down as close to the ground as it could get. Nothing appeared broken, but rather 
as if it had grown along the earth instead of growing up toward the sun. It was weird as shit, and only in that triangle area. When we got back to camp, Caleb was awake. My sister had a weird look on her face. Caleb was totally normal. Hey, bro, you all right? My brother asked. Caleb just casually answered. Yeah, man, doing well. Missed the sunrise, but I guess I needed the sleep. We just looked at him concerned, like, what the F? He was eating a breakfast bar and heating up coffee over the fire. We sat down across from him, and I asked, So, hey, do you remember that shit last night? He looked at me, puzzled. My brother added, You know, when all the animals freaked out and we found you, you just looked so confused. My sister said, Caleb, stop playing, he asked. What are you talking about? My brother said, Bro, you were messed up last night. Caleb laughed and responded, Yeah, I figured I had to be because I never sleep next to the fire all wrapped up in blankets. Not after getting that bug in my ear that one time. Whoa. We continued to ask him questions, but he had no memory whatsoever. As far as he was concerned, he had a few too many drinks and slept next to the fire. We told him our story, and each of us agreed, but he had no recollection. We told him about the spot next to the river and how our phones wouldn't turn on. We pulled our phones out to show him, and they were already on. My brother had 60. 7% battery, and mine had 41%. We got the creeps real quick. We decided to pack up camp and get the F away from that spot. But before we did a final sweep, Caleb asked, have you guys seen my camera? He had a nice DSLR Sony with a nice lens, and that shit was gone. The weirdest part is he slept with it in his hammock every single time he goes camping, and we've never seen it not on his body. He even specifically remembered taking it to bed and tucking it in its bag and putting the lens in its sleeve. It's like a ritual for him. He takes super good care of his belonging. We searched around the ridge and all around the fire and in between the two spots. It was nowhere to be found. Caleb even went down the ridge a bit toward the river in case it had fallen out and rolled down the hill, but it was gone. When had to leave and my siblings and I agreed to pitch in to buy him a new one if he would just get the F out of there with us. About three miles and one hour later, my brothers turned to me on the trail and said, Do you think he tried to take a picture of some shit he wasn't supposed to see? The creepiest feeling swept over me, and I replied, Bro... Let's just forget how messed up he was and get the hell away from here. He nodded in agreement. It's been about a year now, and they haven't seen or heard from Caleb eight months. No one has. In the town of Bladenboro, North Carolina, just eight miles southwest of Elizabethtown, where I stay, it was said a demon cat from hell used to stalk the woods killing livestock and making the locals scared. Then it suddenly disappeared. That's what they say anyway. We know it didn't. To this day, there have been reports of something that looks like an abnormally large mountain lion with blood-red eyes and fur as black as night. Its cries have been compared to that of a woman being torn apart and screaming for her life. Luckily, it only has a taste for goats and cows, or so we think anyway. I will tell you, there have been a few people that have gone missing. 
Some have been found, and to hear some of the police tell the story, the bodies were torn to shreds. It's not just located in Bladenboro, like most think. It goes from Bladen Lakes State Forest to the Green Swamp Preserve area, which covers three counties and 1225 square miles. A friend of mine was hunting one day down in Green Swamp Preserve when it started getting dark. If you hunt in this area, you know you've got to be out of the woods before dark by law. So he climbed down from his tree stand and began the long walk through the swamp and underbrush to where he parked his truck. Now my friend is a cornbread. Fed southern boy and has the size to prove it. Standing six feet six inches with a weight of 260 pounds of pure farmhand muscle. He isn't small by any standards, so he learned not to be scared of anything. He said what happened next made him never want to go in swamp hunting again. Making his way through the brush, he said he began hearing something walking through the woods toward him. He stopped to listen for it and said it sounded like a large black bear, so he got his gun ready just in case. When he stopped, it stopped. When he walked, it walked. He said it made him nervous because whatever it was, knew he was there and won't be running off. He said he started making noise and even shot his shotgun in the air. It didn't leave. Instead, it let out a growl, he said, you could feel as much as hear. All the way through the woods, it stayed just behind him, out of sight. When he came out of the woods onto the dirt road, he said his truck was about 50 yards down from him. He decided it was a pretty good chance that whatever it was following him was going to keep following, or make a move on him there. So he took off running. It took off running, too. He said it sounded like a bulldozer was crashing through the woods, and when it broke from the woods, it sounded like a horse running through loose dirt. He could hear the stomps of its feet and the growling in its breath. He didn't have to look back to know it was coming and catching up to him. He shot behind him, hoping it would scare it enough to stop for a moment and give him a chance to make it to the truck. When he did, he said he must have hit it because it screamed, and for a moment he thought it was a person. That's when he finally turned around. He said it was jet black, as big as a 600-pound black bear, with a tail as long as its body, and eyes that were glowing red. He hit it, and it was just standing there looking at him, as if to say, now you've done it. He bolted to the truck and jumped in. Just as he shut the door, he looked, and it was right there. He said it was so close, its breath was fogging the window. By now, he said he was shaking badly, and it was everything he could do to get the key in the ignition and start the motor. He drives a Ford F-354 wheel drive that was raised up so that there's a good two feet of clearance under the truck. He said this thing was on all four feet and looking eye to eye with him in his truck. The engine started and he took off like a bat out of hell. He said it chased him as hard as it could till he picked up speed and stopped and watched him drive off. The next day he and his dad went back with guns and looked around for tracks, blood, or even a dead body. He said there was no blood, even though he knows it was shot and there were paw prints as big as his hands on the ground everywhere. Then they found a tree that nine feet up had claw marks. One inch deep and in the woods spaced four inches apart from each other. They didn't venture into the woods, nor did they go too far from the truck. Both of them said they felt as though they were being watched and didn't want to stick around to find out what it was. They got back in the truck, and that's when they heard it, a scream from the woods off in the distance. He said it was like a woman screaming bloody murder. It let him know it was there, waiting. Yep, 
There are many dark secrets in the woods. Charlie Daniels even wrote about these woods in one of his songs. If you ever get adventurous and want to try your luck, come on down to Green Swamp. And when the sun goes down, get real quiet. You might hear that scream. I hope when you do it's off in the distance and not close by. Because if it is, well, it might just be the last sound you hear.